Just when you thought Clint Dempsey to Seattle was the most surprising move of the past year, now we give you Michael Bradley to Toronto. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. As always, with me is Ivis Galarsep. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. You know, I, I'm. I think I'm like most uh, American. Uh, people who follow American soccer uh, still recovering from the shock of one of the more surprising developments uh, in recent memory. Michael Bradley to Toronto FC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't. I mean, I can't imagine a lot of anybody saw it coming. Uh, but it is happening. It has happened. Official AS Roma has announced it, and Bradley is on his way back. Well, the surprising thing about the whole thing, Ivis, is how it was kept under wraps for so long. Then all of a sudden, boom, news came out. Then a couple hours later, it looked like the deal was done. Right, it all it all went down pretty quickly, from what I understand. Uh, uh, surprisingly, so it 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 all came together, um, and and so I think the fact that it it came together so quickly is why it it, it really didn't uh, leak out until it was already pretty much done. Uh, but credit credit to Toronto FC and credit to MLS uh, for getting it done. You're, you're talking about a, a top 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 level player, uh, the best for me, the best player on the national team mm-hmm. in it. His prime, 26 years old, and, and I, you know, it's funny. I know people are completely, you know, a lot of, especially a lot of U.S. national teams fans are freaking out. Uh, but you know what? It's This is an absolute blockbuster for MLS. Yeah, let's look at this. Let's, let's look at the whole deal, Ivis. Toronto sends Roma $10 million. Bradley comes over. He makes about, according to reports, he's going to be making $5 million more than he was making for Roma. Uh, there was also those kind of interesting reports about his agent in Italy. We can talk about all that a little later on. But just looking at this overall, though, you know, you're getting those people that are saying, you know, oh, you know, this is bad for the league. This is bad for the U.S. men's national team. But we've talked about this before with a guy like Donovan, who's performed at a high level even though he's played in Major League Soccer. Dempsey, the jury's still out. But for Bradley, though, when you look at this, Ivis, was this the only move for him? Was this the best move? Was there anything else out there for him? Well, you know, it really depends on what you want for Michael Bradley. And I feel like a lot of people that are really upset about it uh, had had higher hopes for Bradley. And and I think what Bradley represented in uh, in, in the whole American, locker, American soccer landscape was he was kind of the, the great hope of uh US of the US national team the great hope of American soccer in the sense that he was already on a big team he was on AS Roma he had made that climb all the way up to a big team in a big league and i think the hope had been that he'd stay on that level uh fight through this recent uh struggle for playing time at Roma and maybe keep going and you know maybe eventually get to an even bigger club and when you want, when you want to talk about the fact that he's only 26 years old uh, you know, I, I think you know, there's always that hope of who's gonna who's gonna be the the person that keeps pushing that bar, raising that bar. Mm-hmm. You know, pushing the envelope for the U.S. player, and, and I think Bradley was seen as that guy. And uh, you know, so I think it came as a complete shock that he goes from being at that very highest level to then turning around and coming back to MLS. And I know some people see it as a failure. Some people see it as as him giving up on on his career. And I just, you know what, I really don't buy it. I don't, I don't think it's that serious because here's the thing, right? The guy has played eight years in Europe mm-hmm. at a very high level. He's played in some of the biggest leagues in the world. He played and started in Germany. He played and started in Italy. He, he, he was in England. He spent a half season there on loan. Didn't quite work out at Aston Villa. He played and started in the Dutch league and then, you know, had the outstanding season where he scored a ton of goals. So right there, you want to talk about the guys played mm. it played and started in three of the three of the better leagues in Europe. Uh, what you know, how does anyone look at that and say that he did not, you know, that his career, you know, he didn't do anything with his career. The guy got it done eight years in Europe, you know. So for me, I mean, I, I can't begrudge him. For for taking an opportunity that comes his way, and 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 you and you want to talk about the money 
being yeah. reported in this deal. I mean, I can I can report that the the numbers are accurate that are out there. I mean, we're talking six and a half million a year guaranteed. Uh, plus, like we're talking, that's like kind of like the baseline, uh, not including bonuses. Uh, if he helps Toronto FC, you know, win, it turns them around. I mean, let's face well, it, Toronto FC's, Toronto FC's yeah. never even been to the playoffs. So, you know, if he can turn them into a winner, he's going he's gonna to make even more money. Uh, how do you turn that down? How do you turn down uh, six years guaranteed money uh, at three, four, five times more than you're making at AS Roma? How do you turn that down? People, it, it, I, I think people need to take a step back and look at this and, and realize that, you know, it's not I don't know how many people would have really, really been able to turn this down if they were in the same situation. Well, the one thing that that I that I look at this is, you know, he wasn't getting much playing time at Roma. Right. So if he was to go on loan somewhere, Ivis, let's say there were reports that he was going to go to like Fulham or Sunderland. Then he would have had to crack into a team that was fighting for a better position in the table. I just, for me, I think this is a smart move. He's going to come over. He's going to get a lot of playing time. Now when you look at Toronto, adding in Jermaine Defoe and the other pieces, Dwayne De Rosario, he's going to have some quality players to work with. Toronto's not going to be as bad as they were last year. I mean, with the guys that they're bringing in, Ivis, you have to assume that they're going to be competing for a playoff spot. So for Michael Bradley to stay in Europe and have to get on another team that's struggling for for a position and, and, and you have to crack that team and you're on loan. I, to me, he did that before, and that was with Aston Villa, and that did not work out well. And that's why I think going over to Toronto was the, you know, the, the best move he could have made. I, I, I disagree. I mean, I, I, you know? I, I, disagree, I disagree with the way you're portraying him because, look, it wasn't as if he didn't have some decent options. I mean, Bayer Leverkusen was very interested in him. Bayer Leverkusen is, one, is a higher-level team in the Bundesliga. He could have gone there. But again, the question is, you know, what what did he want to do with his life at this point, right? I mean, we're talking about twenty six is young, but again, he's played eight years. He's uh, he's played in, in in you know multiple leagues all through Europe. He started in multiple leagues. He has a family now. He has a son, a young son. He he has started this young you know this family now, and maybe he wants to move back. He wants to move back to, closer to the the U.S. and you know closer to his family, closer to his wife's family. And uh, so I can't really knock him, you know, and I you know. I, as far as uh, you know, Toronto FC and, and and what they're gonna bring to the table and and what what that can mean for him, I mean that's something else altogether. I mean I think once he decided, once he realized that that this kind of blockbuster deal was there for the taking or or, or there as an opportunity in MLS, I'm sure he looked around, tried to figure out a what would be close, uh, you know, to the East Coast. He has a lot. His family's based in the East Coast now. His wife's family is his, his wife's from New Jersey actually, so. Um, you know, he, he, he had this opportunity to kind of try to be closer to the East coast, uh, and get paid. I mean, he a chance to get paid chance to join, a, a, go to a great city, by the way. I mean, say what you want. There's all kinds of jokes about Toronto FC and what a laughing stock they are and this and that. But listen, Toronto is an amazing city. It's a great sports city. They're the, the, the owners of Toronto FC for, for say what you want about what, what they've been able to do running that team. But they're a, a sporting empire up there. They own they own the uh, you know the the basketball team there, the hockey team there. We're talking about a huge company that has deep pockets and that is desperate, desperate, desperate to turn things around for Toronto FC to take advantage of that great sports town that is dying for a winner. Mm-hmm. So Toronto FC had to do something desperate, and, and this is all part of a bigger big plan from them. I mean, we're, just look at the Defoe deal and look at the Bradley deal combined. Uh, one report had their two deals combined being worth a uh, hundred million, a uh, hundred million dollars between the transfers and the salaries. I mean, I was told it's actually less than that, but it's still 
pretty astronomical figures. They're, they're talking now about uh, renovating uh, BMO Field and expanding it. So they have grand plans. Tim Lewicki does not mess around, as we know from his time in L.A. He thinks big. He does big, he does big things. He makes things happen. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it's all part of a big plan by Toronto FC. So if you're Michael Bradley, you see this opportunity to come back home or come close to home and get paid. Why not? You know what I mean? Like yeah. $40 million guaranteed, close to $40 million. Say that slowly, folks. $40 million guaranteed. You know, and, and, and the last thing I'll say, this, this long rant that I'm going on now, mm-hmm. it's Michael Bradley, folks. It's Michael Bradley. Does, do people honestly think he's going to let his game slip that much in five months between now and the World Cup? Have we met this guy? This guy is like an absolute professional. He is motivated as anybody, determined as anybody. He is a pit bull. I, I, I think, if anything, I think there's still some a hangover from the Clint Dempsey experience. And the fact that Clint Dempsey came here last year, struggled badly, his form dipped. And everyone's looking at that and saying, this is what happens to top players that come back. They, 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 their form drops. They're, they suddenly aren't the, the, the unstoppable star that we've grown accustomed to seeing in Europe. Uh, listen, folks, Michael Bradley is not Clint Dempsey. Michael Bradley isn't coming in the summer after a long European season like, like uh, Clint Dempsey did. Michael Bradley's coming at the perfect time. He is an absolute consummate professional. He will not let his game slip. He will be ready for the World Cup. Well, yeah, and, and how do those people make the same arguments for a guy like Robbie Keane, who performs well on the international level for, for Ireland? I don't know. My thing is, this is what's funny, right? But you know what I mean? It's like same with Landon Donovan. He had success well, no, in the World Cup. I, I just, the Euro I, snobs, it, the Euro snobs, it's I guess, not that's a, what it no, is. No, it's not just, it, I mean, there is some of that. There is some, there is Euro snobbery, no question about it. There's some people who have no respect at all for MLS. That, uh, that, that, no doubt about that. But it is, but they, I think it is more, or just as much, if not more, uh, U.S. fans that just want their best player playing in the high level as possible. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to knock that. I can't knock anyone who feels like, you know, I'm a U.S. fan. I want our very best player or one of our very best players who's playing in a big league to keep playing in that big league. Like, I, that, I, I don't I have no problem with that at all. I understand that completely. But listen, folks, you got to understand. You have to look at the picture. You have to look at it from Michael Bradley's perspective. Mm-hmm. He's played in Europe for eight years, played in some of the best leagues in the world. Played well in some of the best leagues in the world. Earned respect. I mean, he, you know, say what you want about this year and how he has, you know, not gotten a ton of playing time at Roma. He got a decent, a really good amount of playing time last year at Roma. And before that, he really established himself at Kievo. So he earned respect in Serie A. He played in Serie A. He was the first U.S. national team player since Alexi Lalas to go into Serie A and really establish himself. I mean, that's nothing to shake a stick at. He made, he, he, he established himself. He did it in the Bundesliga at, at Mönchengladbach. Established him there, himself there as well. So, you know what? What else? You know, he doesn't have to prove anything to anybody. He's mm-hmm. played in these leagues. He's played well. Now, he has this opportunity to set himself up for life, his family up for life. And and why not take it, right? I mean, I, I, I get it, folks. I get it. And, and I understand. And, and I don't begrudge anyone who, who, who is disappointed. Or who would like to have seen uh, Bradley tough it out in Europe and, and maybe play himself to a bigger team even. Because, I mean, I think people had aspirations of him going to, to the Premier League and, and working, his, working his way to an Everton or, or even Tottenham or any of that those higher level. I'm sure people had that idea in their minds. But you know what? This isn't FIFA career mode where you get to control the guys. This is a person's life. This is a great opportunity. 
forty million dollars mm. guaranteed. Listen, folks, it's easier said than done to turn down a deal like that. Uh, when you look at the moves that Toronto has made, though, Ivis, I mean, you mentioned it before, Tim Lewicki. I mean, since he's come on, I believe at the end of June making some major signings. Dwayne DeRosario is already in. Michael Bradley, Jermaine Defoe are coming. They already have Jackson from FC Dallas. Past year. Jackson played for FC Dallas past year. They brought him in. Justin Morrow, when you look at Toronto right now, Ivis, can you pencil them in as a playoff team next season? That's an interesting question. They have added almost a half, much like DC United, they've added almost half a team, right? But uh, they really needed to add that talent to, to close the gap. They were a really bad team. Uh, at last year, so playoff team—that's a—that it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe can make that much of a difference. And I know, again, I know some European fan or fans of the European game will snicker about Defoe and how he hasn't done a whole heck of a lot lately. But listen, folks, Robbie Keane wasn't exactly tearing up Europe when he came either, and look what he did in MLS. So quality, you know, Jermaine Defoe is a quality player. I'm sorry. He's a quality player. He will do well in in the in uh in MLS. He'll score his goals. And Michael Bradley absolutely will command the middle. And, and for my money, will walk into the uh, walk into MLS as the best player in MLS. Uh, so you know what? They they absolutely absolutely could compete right away playoff spot this year. But again, it's gonna be up to Ryan Nelson, the head coach, to prove that he can coach. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not as simple as you know making all these moves, building a team, and voila, you have a, you have a playoff team. You need a coach to get the job done, and uh, Ryan Nelson, the, the jury's still out there. So I think if he struggles, uh, Tim Lewicki doesn't play around, folks. If Ryan Nelson isn't getting the job done, if, if they're struggling, they will absolutely make a change there. Well, moving away from one MLS franchise that is looking to improve their stock in 2014 and moving over to another one, Ivis, on the West Coast, Chivas USA. They have announced a head coach, Wilmer. Oh, I just my voice just cracked right there. Wilmer Cabrera. Ivis, uh, what, hey. what, do th- what do you think of this move for Chivas USA? Well, first of all, I want to say it's a big show for us because we're going to, you know, you're hitting puberty. I believe, obviously, so that's pretty. <laughs> it's, a, it's a historic moment. Yeah, everyone, yeah. Should, everyone should applaud. Everyone me. should mark uh, it. What, what time of the show is this in? This is at, episode 103. Yeah, uh, uh, Garrett is puberty. Yeah, right, thank just, God. <laughs> well, uh, you know, kidding aside, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, you know. Cabrera again. He's not, you know, doesn't have experience as a, head, a pro head coach. He's a well liked. He's a well liked guy uh, from by all, by all accounts. He's he's a really, uh, really respected, well liked coach. But he goes into what is an unenviable, unenviable situation. I mean that that you know, Chivas USA. You like to think they're turning things around. You like to think their their ownership's taking it a little bit more seriously. Their front office is trying to take steps towards being a bit more respectable team, and mm-hmm. they've made some decent moves in the offseason. They've added Mauro Rosales. Andrew Jean Baptiste, um, so you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. Honestly, I, 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 you know, could they have done for me? I would have hired Jesse Marsh. That's just me, uh, or you know, there, there are any number of other candidates. So it's a, it's it, the jury's out. I say the jury's out. But you know what? Wilma Cabrera will not succeed unless their ownership takes starts taking the, uh, things a lot more seriously. And you'd like to hope that these moves that they've made in the offseason are signs that. They're going to be a little bit more competitive this year. Well, at least they have a coach. When you look at Colorado yeah. and FC Dallas, Ivis, they still don't have a coach. Well, technically speaking, as of yeah, right yeah, now, technically, yeah, technically. Colorado has a coach, but we all know they don't. I mean, I reported this what seems like 100 years ago. Actually, it was a week ago that Oscar Pereja you know, handed in his resignation. He will not be going back to Colorado. They have not announced anything yet because they're waiting to fi- finalize the deal uh, with FC Dallas, there were reports out there that the, that a deal had been reached, but 
as of yesterday, I was told that a deal had not been reached. So for me, it's a little surprising because here we are. I mean, I'm I'm actually coming to you from Florida. I'm at the MLS Combine, which kicks off on Friday. Tomorrow, right now, we're doing a show Thursday night, uh, and the Combine is on Friday. And and you know what we saw on Thursday was teams around the league announcing their their coaching staff because all these coaches are going to be at the combine on Friday. They're all going to be wearing their team polos and their team coats and te- team jackets. Everyone's going to know who the new coaches are around the league. Uh, but we don't know who Colorado's coach is going to be. We don't know who FC Dallas's coach is going to be. And, and it's almost like they're in this death spiral uh, together. They're locked in and, and, and it's turning into a messy situation. And, and it's, 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 I would want to be Colorado right now. I'll tell you that because the longer they wait, the tougher it's going to be for them to go get a replacement. Yeah, I was going to say that it must be. It's going to be really awkward tomorrow to see who shows up for Colorado or FC Dallas wearing the colors. You've been talking about that. That I mean, if Oscar Perez is wearing Colorado, but might be going to Dallas, and it's just it's just interesting. It's you wonder why why they're taking so long. I mean, this seemed with the draft on Thursday. You want to get this done ASAP, right? Well, you know what's interesting. I'd say it's almost as if for those who forget. The New York Red Bulls last year That's did not true. have a coach. They didn't have a coach at the combine. I mean, they didn't have a head coach. At the yeah, combine. but they were lucky though with Pecky. Pecky knew he they was, lo- he was yes, there. Yeah. He knew they the, he knew the players. That that that's right. a unique situation. He was around. Yeah. fair enough. But they didn't technically have a head coach at the draft or the mm-hmm. combine. Um, this one again, it is going to be a little weird because I mean, I'd say what FC Dallas uh, Fernando Clavijo will be here. I would imagine he will be representing FC Dallas. One way or the other, he's you know the technical director, sporting director, whatever his title is now. He will be there for them. Colorado actually just appointed some uh, for not, uh, some staff person late Thursday night, so I would I'd imagine that guy is going to be there for Colorado. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, though, you know I don't know where, what Oscar Perez is going to do. He's going to show up in a black cloak or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know what he's going to do. I mean I'm sure he's here somewhere in Fort Lauderdale or in the area. Um, it's just you know it's unfortunate. You, you you'd like to you would have hoped that they would have sorted it out. They would have come up uh, with compensation, and the fact that they didn't announce it. And here we are, Friday, you know, midnight going in. I mean, Thursday night, late night going into Friday, no announcement yet. Uh, it's unfortunate, and I know Colorado fans are, yeah. are fed up fed up with it. I know FC FC Dallas fans are, are I think are a little less upset because they 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 smell the blood in the water. They see their team possibly getting their man. So they're enthusiastic. They're excited, I'm sure. Well, I think Colorado has to be pissed. They have to be, Ivis. You, you come off a successful 2013 season. You go into the offseason. The majority of your players are coming back. Your coach is in place. And all of a sudden, boom, coach isn't there. And you have all this uncertainty now. Colorado, I mean, if, you, if you're a Colorado fan, you had to just be livid right now. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. It, it, it's If you're Colorado and you didn't see this coming, then you just were flat out in denial. Because, I, look, when as soon as Dallas... Uh, as soon as Shellis Hyman announced his that his, you know his resignation and that he was going to be leaving, you had to know that that was the kind of the the bat signal for Oscar Perez had to go back <laughs> to Dallas. I mean, we're ta- I feel like we we already kind of touched on this in a recent show, but the guy put in 15 years at FC Dallas as a player and as an assistant coach. 15 years. I mean, as Dallas is his home. Let's face it, Dallas is in his heart. It's in his, it's home. He has a connection there. He has a connection with that 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 team in that city that he just was never going to have with Colorado, and, and you can deny it, you can you can refuse to admit it or believe it, but that's just the reality of the situation. So, 
the fact that it got to this point, you know, they, they, they can go ahead and blame who they want. They can blame FC Dallas's owner for tampering. They can blame Oscar Pereja for, for being dishonest or being disloyal mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. But it was there for all to see. Everyone, I mean, I, I mean, who didn't project that? I know I did. I know when soon as the season ended, even as good, well, even as well as Colorado did, even as good a year as they had, even as impressive as Pereja had been with the Rapids, I had, I, for me, I said it. I said, look, he's going to, he's going to FC Dallas. He's going. His family never left. Yeah. If a guy's family never leaves, if a guy's family stays there for two years, he and he's coaching in Colorado on his own. That tells you something. So. I, I tell you what, Colorado. I, I, you know what? I, it's it, I'm on some level. I don't feel bad because they should have been ready for this. They should have gotten this sorted out earlier. But you know what? Stubbornness uh, got in the way. That, that's that's the only way I see it. They, they, they were stubborn about it. They they they, they you know they could have handled this a lot sooner. And, and now they're going to end up. Uh, it could become a messy situation. Now you know what? Maybe they won't get the guy they want. Maybe they won't get Robin Frazier. Because look, you know what? The New York Red Bulls. They have to move on. The, the train's leaving the station. Is you know Robin Frazier? You know he, it's not fair to the Red Bulls either at this point, right? Is is he going to leave now? Like when they're in draft preparations and getting closer to the start of the season, and he's just going to up and leave? And that's not going to be easy either. Mm-hmm. So, uh, part of me, I tell you what, I definitely feel bad for Rapids fans. Absolutely, I don't feel I don't feel bad for their organization because they should have seen this coming. Uh, some other news around the league, Ivis, we're seeing a lot of homegrown player contracts being signed. Harrison Ship, the big one, signed with the Chicago Fire. Sean Coley, Aaron Kovar with the Seattle Sounders. Jalen Robinson with DC United. Uh, any any of these guys, will any of them see any minutes in 2014? Well, I think the big one, obviously, is Harrison Ship. We're talking about a, a, you know, a player coming off winning a national title, national championship at Notre Dame, a, a really exciting Attacking player, midfielder, uh, someone who can go at defenses, set teammates up uh, really quick and dynamic. He's one to watch without a doubt. I mean, he's a guy who would have been a top three, actually probably top two pick, maybe even a number one pick in the draft if he were in the draft. So he, if you're a Chicago Fire fan, absolutely need to be excited about him. Seattle uh, adding the player, the two homegrowns that they signed, that's big for them as well because, you know, well, we know they're a team that, that has some serious salary cap issues. So for them to bring in... Uh, a player like you know, two players with with great upside, attacking players, uh, especially you know, Sean Coley for me, big specimen of a forward. Uh, you know, the, let me just let, let's say like kind of a college version of a, a Romelo Lukaku in the sense, just that big kind of tough forward to deal with. Uh, that he's going to be fun to watch down the road. So I think it's big, you know, for teams to add these guys who you know don't cost much against the cap. Uh, and, and can give you minutes right away. Not all of the homegrowns that have signed are going to be impact guys right away. But for Chicago, if you're a Chicago fan, you're a Seattle fan. You have a lot to be, you have a lot to be excited about. And finally, before we uh, head into our guest, Ivis, just some general MLS news. You broke the story on Goal.com. Got to give you congratulations again, Ivis. I was there. I pat you on the back. But Major League Soccer, as we all know, is entering their TV contract deals. You broke some interesting news regarding a certain network that would not be working with them. I don't want to steal your thunder, so I'll let you take it away. Well, for those of you who missed it, on Thursday evening, uh, I I reported uh, for Gold.com that NBC will no longer carry MLS after the 2014 season. Uh, Sources told me uh, on Thursday that they are out. Uh, And now uh, there, there are reports that it looks like Fox Sports will be the new the new TV partner, uh, they once again will be a TV partner. As we know, Fox was the previous partner before NBC, uh, back when it was Fox, the Fox Soccer Channel. And obviously now they, 
as they returned, you know, they have Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, uh, and it looks like they're getting ready to try to revamp their soccer properties with the World Cup in 2018, which Fox has the rights to. So uh, pretty big news there on the media front. And, uh, you know, I added a couple other tidbits, such as ESPN uh, revamping or, or ramping up their online presence when it comes to American soccer with, with national team match coverage uh, and potentially MLS match coverage. Uh, I don't know what that means for MLS Live or if MLS Live, MLS Live is going to go away and ESPN3 is going to have MLS games. That remains to be seen, but uh, it looks like there is movement on that front. Uh, so it's going it's to be interesting to watch that next TV deal. What I have been told is that this next TV contract is sizable. It is a significant increase from the previous TV deal, which obviously is big, big news for MLS. It's, it, it's a positive step, especially for a league that's struggling to, to move the needle uh, ratings-wise on the national TV front. So for them to still be able to secure a better deal, a better, uh, a better rights deal, uh, that's, that's big news for them. And speaking of Fox Soccer, Ivis, our next guest is uh, he works for Fox Soccer and he's about to enter something a little interesting, something we've never seen before in professional sports. Right. Uh, for those of you who missed it earlier in the week, the Atlanta Silverbacks have eliminated the head coaching position and they will have technical director Eric Winalda manage the team uh, remotely from Los Angeles, uh, where he still has his job, his, obviously his TV job with Fox Sports. Uh, he will oversee the team. He will travel back and forth uh, for games with Atlanta. Uh, it, a little unprecedented setup there, uh, and uh, you know we're gonna get we, we get it. We've gotten a chance to talk to Eric uh, about this arrangement and, and how he's gonna handle his coaching duties. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting one. Speaking of Eric Ronaldo Ivis, we have the former U.S. Men's National Team forward name to the U.S. Soccer's all-time best 11 in December and current Atlanta Silverbacks technical director on the phone. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys? We're doing excellent. The deal between you and the Atlanta Silverbacks is an interesting one. They eliminated the head coach position and are handing duties over to you. How did this come up, and what was kind of the thought process behind it? Well, I mean, as you guys know, um, a year and a half ago, it was it was a weird scenario. Andy Smith, the GM, called me, and he asked me um, if I would be interested in taking the position. I declined the first three times, uh, but I... I Devoted myself to helping him because Andy's a friend. And um, by the time I got off, off, I got off a flight. I think it was from LA to Miami. I looked at my schedule uh, with Fox, and I really didn't have much on there at all. So I, I presented the idea of just can I do it on an interim basis, and then we'll we'll try and get this thing back on track. And you know, the thinking really was is just to be a consultant. Um, and, to, and but I ended up coaching a few games. Uh, hired. Brian Haynes to, to take over the reins for me. He was my assistant for uh, the first five or six games. And then um, the reality is, is that, that once I rolled up my sleeves and I got involved with the club and with games and being in that environment, I had the opportunity to, to bring some of my guys over from California that I, I felt, you know, were just waiting for an opportunity. They just weren't getting it. And I was in a position to, to, uh, facilitate that so I, I i took advantage of that situation but those players did did a, did a phenomenal job um we were able to to be the the, the best team in the, in the latter part of the season in 2012 and then we won the spring and um you know haynes pretty much had had taken over the team and and all of its operations and he hired uh his assistant franklin mcintosh um 
and we got about halfway through the the second part of the season of fall, and you know, it just was like a change of philosophy. It was a it was a cha- it was a different way of playing, and my role was really in the back seat. I, I was kind of uh, over here in California, just watching from afar and 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 trying to. Um, figure out what was going on. We'd have a weekly call. That was just about it. And that was my role as a, as a, you know, a glorified consultant is you, you try to help, but when you're not there, it's hard. So, um, we got to the end of the season and we lost the final, um, you know, Boris Jakunica is, uh, and our new ownership, uh, you know, now that, uh, Henry's a part of this, we, we had a long conversation about what was the best thing that we could do. And I know this sounds crazy guys, but you know, we, we went into a room and seven hours later we came out and said, you know, this, this is, this is, uh, a, a, an idea that uh, is feasible. It's possible that, that somebody can, can, uh, if we're organized and everybody knows what they're doing, uh, this could work. And this is coming from two guys. You got to understand that, that are self-made millionaires. Um, they're extremely intelligent people and they've had success in the, in, in business. And I, I think that, uh, the criticism that we're getting right now, uh, for the most part is the fact that we are essentially treating uh, this like a business. And, uh, some people are, are, are just not used to that. They're used to seeing a head coach is hired. He's given a lot of, um, of power and, and he oversees everything. And, and what we realized, I think in this process is that when you have so many challenges, when it, when that the NASL has, sometimes it's a little overwhelming and it was a little bit too much to ask from one guy. Um, you know, just, just because boots on the ground sound like a good idea at times, it's just doing everything average. Uh, we felt that it would be better served if we started getting some guys that could, um, essentially, have specific roles within the club and, you know, very task oriented, um, and handle those positions. And it takes a lot of alleviates, a lot of the pressure that a head coach would have had. And we got to the point where Boris basically said, do we need a coach? Do we, do we need a coach? And when we came out of that room, the answer was, uh, essentially no, what we needed is a manager. And, and that's, uh, that's what Henry Harden and, and Boris Jokernik are, are used to seeing in their, their form of businesses. So um, we'll see how this goes, guys. I know that. I think your comment, I, I, you basically said, I'll give it a shot. I'll give them a chance here. But <laughs> well, I, I, you, I get you have it. to admit, there's some, I, it, it's definitely, it's an intriguing idea. I can't, I, I don't, I don't, I've never heard of, it, of something like this being tried before. Uh, I mean, do, do you, I mean, do you kind of see the, where people are coming from as far as the criticism and how much of a concern is it that this could completely uh, not work and, and could completely fall apart? I mean, how much of a concern is that? Well, I mean, I, I actually think um, when you when you go into an endeavor like this, you, you don't you, you you know that there's some tripwire, some red tape, and some things that that could eventually uh, uh, cause some issues and, and make this problematic. Uh, but we think, um, under the circumstances, the way the league is uh, is run, um, with the kind of schedule that we have, that this actually makes a whole lot of sense. And if I talk you through it, 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 it you, maybe I could convince you. But well, when you play a game, right. you play a game on a Saturday. Um, the the way that some teams decide to re- recover and regenerate, they they don't do it properly. They'll 
they'll basically get up in the morning, get on a bus, get on a plane, fly home, and take that day off. And then they'll show up on Monday's practice, and they're usually dragging. Um, I learned this from in my time in Germany. The the, the idea um, that we're going to implement is that if you play a game, you immediately uh, regen, which means you get up earlier in the morning on a Sunday, and you don't let that lactic acid acid um, settle, basically. And and you and you do get a workout. You you, you sometimes you hit weights. You know, but there are there are people that have a, a specific purpose here. That my my physical trainers are the guys that will be handling most of this. But um, they're not going to stay out too late because they know they're going to have to get up pretty damn early. And uh, that that is also an issue. But it, in Germany, they stay out all night, and they drink, and they smoke, and they they don't, they don't even go home till five o'clock in the morning. But they're running at seven thirty, and that's the logic in it is to make sure that the the blood doesn't settle and you don't have a lot of lactic acid. Monday is always a free day, and Tuesday is is a day of you know something that you do in the physical nature and something um, that's in the strengthening department. So if you take those three days, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. You don't, I don't really need to be there, do I? Right. And most managers, when they're honest, if they're doing this correctly, are the guy holding a coffee, uh, observing. Um, and what we also realize in this modern era of technology is that sometimes when you're there, you miss more. And that's something that, that people don't think about. Right. And you know, all of the, the, the practices will be videoed, and I'll, I'll be able to see those uh, in my office here in California. So... You, By the time I get there on Thursday, we'll, we'll be working on the stuff that matters and preparing for the next game. So I know it sounds crazy, but you, we're going to give it a shot, right. and I think it's—I think it might work. Right now, now you, you so you actually be watching the, the sessions live as as they happen. Uh, sometimes live, and sometimes um, like the Wednesday scrimmage would be the first time that we assimilate a game right. that we prepare for the opposition. We have our, our reserve team will pretend to be whoever we're playing against, whether that's the Carolina Railhawks or Tampa Bay Rowdies or Minnesota United, Strikers, Edmonton, doesn't matter. We'll pretend to be somebody else, and that will be uh, streamlined back to me in my office, and I'm watching it. I'm watching everything. So it's kind of like Sir Alex Ferguson watching it from his office right. without really going on the field. Gotcha. <laughs> now, now, obviously on Skype, I, uh, not on Skype, on a on, uh, Twitter, I, I came up with a nickname for you. I called you Skype Guardiola. It's a little joke. Hey, right? hey. I don't know. If you I've been saw called that. a lot of things. I got called uh, remote coach, <laughs> uh, uh, manager remote. What was the other one? Uh, mobile mobile manager was the other one. Will, yeah, will, I, I've I've heard a few. Will you use Skype? Will, will you like talk to the team? Uh, no, nothing like that. Uh, I, I I I don't think that's necessary. I I think the other thing that people forget is when you are a manager of a club. Um, sometimes if you hear the guy's voice every day, you get tired of him. And God, I think half of America is probably sick of my voice already with all the television I've done. But if in, in a managerial situation, which surprises a lot of people, I don't do a lot of talking. I, I just don't. I, I try to keep what I say relevant and, and I just kind of only include the pertinent information. So it's a different role. It's a different role than people are used to um, seeing me in. So sometimes, you know, people like the Merit Paulsons of the world, they'll get it. And mm. I don't expect Merit Paulson to get it. I think he, I expect him to, to take a very traditional approach and um, say stupid things on Twitter. 
Right. Now, now, this is such a different approach, unique approach to, to handling a team. Some might look at it and say that maybe, you know, you're not taking seriously. You're not taking coaching seriously. Your 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 interest in coaching uh, is well documented. Is it fa- is it fair to say you're still as interested in coaching as you've ever been? Is that still a desire of yours to, to be a coach? I'm interested in managing. In managing. I, you know, I think we get it wrong a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of it's it's not a lot of coaching at at the professional level it, there's 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 guys that that do the specific stuff uh but my job would be to manage these these young men and that's that's the job at hand and to answer your question i don't think i'm waiting for people to take me seriously i think i'm waiting for somebody to be serious it's it's kind of a flip i i don't think that um you know if i'm being dead honest i think that we've created some heroes in this country the Ziggy Schmitz and the Bruce Arenas and Bob Bradley's of the world. And we look up to them as if they're the gurus and they know everything. And I think we're selling ourselves short. I think there's a lot more to it. And just because they've created this role that we feel is necessary. Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to argue that. I, I think that a lot of times, uh, coaches, if you will, or, or head coaches trying to be managers, uh, micromanage way too much, and 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 they complicate things that that, that need to be kept. Um, just process. I, I think the process it, it needs to be able to be processed, and and I think that sometimes players, you know, are driving home talking to their steering wheels, wondering where the hell they stand. And I've I've been amazed over the years, and my job essentially has been to sit down with coaches in this league and talk about what their strategies are and, and, and their philosophies. But what amazes me, and I won't, I'll leave names out of this, is that I would say 95 out of 100 players, when I ask them simple questions, they don't know because their manager doesn't communicate with them because their manager is afraid of conversations, is afraid of hard conversations. And then sometimes when they do eventually or uh, get to that that point where it's time to actually address a problem because it's manifested itself into a problem, uh, it could have been handled a long time ago, but then the information's wrong. So no, it, it's, it's, it really gets to the point where um, you got to question some of these things. And, I, and I'm not trying to change the world. I'm just trying to change some, some of these guys' lives and, we, we, you know, you look at Chris Clute, who has just made made it uh, to national team camp. Um, that's a pretty good feeling for all of us in Atlanta, because I think I don't think anybody even knew who he was two years ago. Well, Eric, and now there's a good chance that he might make it. Can you explain a little bit about that? A guy like Chris Clute, who who was part of at one time the IMG Academy, was part of the national youth system, but he kind of fell through the cracks. I mean, talk about that. I mean, do you see guys falling through the cracks because they're not explaining things? And was he a guy that that was an example of? I think that our coaches are killing them. I, I, I think Chris Clute is a perfect example of horrific coaching. And I think that when you when you get a young talent and – you spend so much time trying to change him into what you think he needs to be, he gets lost, and he never gets to achieve what he was meant to be. I mean, it was one of the things I did last year, uh, that was mid-season, is I made about half of my team watch the movie Seabiscuit. And they got halfway through it, and they were just thinking, what the hell are we watching this for? But the reality is, is, is that if you spend so much time beating somebody up, 
uh, eventually they start, they either they stop playing or stop thinking and it doesn't look the way it should because we have a lot of players out there who for whatever reason are just going through the motions unintentionally. They're just trying so hard not to make a mistake that they're not playing the game. They're not. And, you know, when I was able to, it, it was, I'll tell you the, the story the way it really happened. Chris Clute was sitting in the, in the, this is the reality of it, guys. Chris Clute's sitting in the lobby at 8 o'clock in the morning in the first game that I'm going to manage uh, Silverback in Carolina, a game that we lost. The only reason why he was there is because one of our players got a DUI. So that's the only reason why I ever got to meet Chris Clute in the first place. He was in our reserve team but was not even a part of the first team. But we needed that position, and so here he is. Ten minutes to go in the game, I pulled him up, and I said, listen, Chris, I could give a damn about three to one. I want two to two. Every time we get a chance, let's see how fast you are. Try and get down this wing. Let's put pressure on this right back. Let's see if you can get him behind him. Overlap every damn time we get the ball. That's what I'm saying. After the third time he ran past me, I turned around to my bench and said, how is this possible that this guy doesn't play on this team? So the next day, there we are again. There he is at 8 o'clock in the morning eating oatmeal with his hair sticking straight up because he had a funny haircut. And I had given him a speech the previous day, and I said, uh, Mike Randolph's going to come to this team, and you can learn a lot from him because he's a great left back, and I'm bringing him from Cal FC. And I want you to watch him, Chris, because he's a good, he's a he's a great example of how to play the position. He says, "Okay, sir, great." The next morning, after that speech the previous day, I said, "Hey, Chris, you remember what I told you yesterday?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "Forget every damn word I said. You're playing every minute that I'm here." And I think that kind of confidence to allow Chris to find himself and to say, "Wow, man, this guy, this guy's going to give me a shot." And he came out of his shell. And when he finally, when he, I'll tell you when he came out of his shell, and I don't even remember who it was, but I think it was in Portland when he ran past everybody, even Marvell Wynn, to, to, to make up about 60 yards on a recovery run and got there first. And, it, and people don't see that stuff. I do. And, it, and maybe, that's, maybe that's my curse or my gift, but I see everything. And I saw stuff in that kid and the first game that we ever played that gave me the, the, the intuition to know that this guy is going to be special. And, you know, the fact that he went to Colorado and played 28 games and led the league and the team from in assist from that position doesn't surprise me one bit. I'm still pissed off. I still think that Oscar misused him. I think, I think he didn't use him enough. And, you know, that's just, that's just my opinion. That that's one of those players that, that, uh, if he's thinking about what he shouldn't do, that's a problem. You just got to let him think and let him do his thing and let the rest happen naturally. I hope I hope we see him in the World Cup team. Brazil would be great. But now, now Eric, obviously, you, your time with with Atlanta uh, previous, you, know, you have stories like Chris and finding him and the success that the, the team had and a lot of the players had that you brought in. Uh, definitely painted you in a really good light as far as being a, a man manager and identifying talent. Uh, what's do you still see ma- managing or, or coaching in MLS or, or is that is that still kind of a goal for you or have you kind of put that on a back burner that idea of, of look I, it's not even a conversation it's the, you know I have been 
um, deemed as uh, unwanted. So if if I'm if if it's not even it's, it's a moot point. I mean, if if I can't talk about something that that isn't uh, a reality. So you know, I th- I think that um, you know my owners in Boris Chakunica, uh and Henry Harden, you know, they're very smart people and and they're passionate about what they do. Um, but they they do run this this uh, business like a company and. You know, I I think that that that's something that um, that that might be a little bit different than than some of the the owners that we have in, in Major League Soccer. I mean, I'm going to pick on Merritt again. I mean, it's not this is a guy who inherited a baseball team and accidentally fell into a soccer team and is pretending to have passion about something and intelligence about a sport that he really shouldn't be commenting on. So. He's he's had his go at me. He said he's he's called me a buffoon and he's called me all kinds of stuff. Um, and I, I think it's unfortunate that, that those are the kind of um, situations we have. We, you know, we we treat our business seriously. He's got a uh, you know this is the entitled uh, son of a privileged family that's treating it like a basically a play toy. So you know. It's 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 one of those things where when the guys that get hired in these positions, they're the guys that somebody else told them to hire because they wouldn't know anyway. So I'll wait it out. It'll probably be ten more years, and uh, probably a few more people um, have to get found out, and then and maybe somebody will be serious enough to hire me as a manager. Now with the uh, the NASL is growing really really quickly. Uh, new owners coming in, uh, some some owners with some deep pockets coming in. The league is really healthy. Do you see Do you see a pretty bright future for the NAS, NASL and, and and kind of what, what are your thoughts of the league and where it's going? Well, I mean, the league is. You know, Bill Pearson's doing a pretty good job. Um, he he actually came from AG, uh, was was part of the Tim LaWiki um, machine, which we we're getting a taste of now at, at Toronto. I love it. I love Tim. I love the way he. Loves to just—he's not even rocking the boat. He's—he is the boat. It's—it's—it's it's, it's pretty cool. But I—I I think, I think the league itself—it's it, just proof that that the growth isn't accidental, uh, and sometimes it's organic. And, and the the interest level that we see in the league now is is fantastic. I—I uh, I think it's a little bit more of a pure uh, model in the sense that. You know, players. You know, there's a reason why there's so many guys going to Europe early because they are afraid to sign a contract that locks them in for a one-year, three-year option, and then they figured out that in the summer months when the European clubs have money, um, your GM, if he gets nervous or your coach doesn't want to lose a good player, decides, well, I'm not selling him. You know, it, I, I can't lose my best player in June. In July, it's mid-season. I'll get fired, and then they get nervous, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. NASL doesn't do that. It it really is a, a model that um, is simply there to to have younger players have that opportunity to get seen, uh, to grow their game, and and uh, move to a to a better address. And I I think our model is is you know we're we're not apologizing for it. We're not calling ourselves a theater team. I think everybody was so afraid to use that term, but. Um, who cares if I if I I mean I found a kid the other day uh, in the L.A. Mexican League who scored 19 goals in 14 games and, and people say well it's the Mexican League I mean it's an amateur thing no 19 goals in 14 games 
is pretty damn good. I signed him the next day for Cal FC, and we had our qualifier, and he scored two more. So it it uh, it happens all the time, but it, a lot of these players get get overlooked, and, and the NASL provides a perfect platform for them. So you know, sometimes sometimes if you talk to any MLS guy, coach, assistant coach, recruiter, whatever, they will tell you that if he's not playing D1 soccer, I'm not interested. And you talk about cracks. There's a lot of cracks in that system because there's a lot of kids playing in City College. There's a lot of kids in D3, D2 uh, who can play this game. And there's circumstances why they are where they are. Uh, But to just discount all that and not even look at them, um, that's just lazy. Well, it's funny you mention that. I'm actually in Florida right now getting ready for the MLS Combine. And it's like you say, I mean, I went to a D3 school myself and, you know, I watched my shared D3 soccer. There's definitely a lot of talent there. Um, But but getting back to Atlanta, I was lucky enough to be there for the Soccer Bowl and, you know, I got to see you down there. Uh, And people love you in Atlanta, by the way. You're like kind of a a rock star down there. It's it's great to see. What is it about Atlanta that that kind of draws you to it and, and talk about just that, the environment there? You know, it's a couple things. You know, I, I really didn't know much, I, I'll be honest, about the, the, the landscape of soccer in Atlanta. Uh, Andy Smith, who has been with several clubs, Colorado, D.C., uh, Dallas, um, and he's, he, you know, his job is to, to sell tickets. And, you know, he kind of explained the landscape uh, uh, to me, but, but it is incredible. Boris Chikunico has, you know, Silverbacks Park, that stadium that we played, um, the final in is full every single day, four o'clock till midnight, with with the the the, the co-ed leagues, the women's leagues, the men's leagues. It it is awesome, and it's just a very vibrant um, town. And it and it actually proves that that uh, uh, soccer can be just about anywhere. Uh, but the the reality is, is Atlanta has got ridiculous talent. Um, and, and just they have a feel for the game. They just have this passion for it that needed a place like Silverbacks Park so they could all just convene and do it. And that's and it's it's really cool. I mean, I I I think the first whole week I was in 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 Atlanta, um, I just stayed there and we just watched games. Sometimes I'd play. Um, some of sometimes the marketing team, um, you know, Andy Smith's staff would play. Uh, I'd join in, um, come back, drink a beer, have a piece of pizza. Somebody else would talk me into playing into another game. And I just met everybody. And it's just, it, it became, um, it just became a very natural thing. It's just, I'm just kind of part of the, the, the landscape myself now. I'm just, I'm just one of them. And uh, it's kind of fun to have people that are just into the sport. They love it as much as I do, um, all from all different levels, but, Still, it's all the same. We all want the same thing. We all want the United States to be a world power someday, and we want to, you know, cram up in some room and watch the TV and sometime in mid-June and, and watch our team do well. And that's that's just that's just the way it is. And I think Atlanta is just one of those towns that has that has that vibe. They could easily be the you know the Seattle or the Portland or the South for sure. Uh, well, Eric, uh, around mid-December, U.S. soccer named an all-time best 11 for the U.S. men's national team. You and a lot of your former teammates were included in the list. What were your thoughts on, on the guys that were selected? I didn't even vote. I, I, I figured um, I figured that would, that would have been 
you know, because of course you can vote for yourself, right? You know, I'm <laughs> like, so I, I looked at that list and I and I was like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do it. And then, then you really do go through this this uh, this kind of anxiety because you're like, wow, like, well, I hope I'm on it, but <laughs> like, you know, what if I'm not? And, and well, what if what if I am? What if I'm not? I mean, you're, you just you're like, man, I don't know. When the list came out, I'll be honest with you, I I had my little moment where I just kind of just hit me. I, I just kind of went, wow. I mean, I would have settled for one game. I just would have settled for one opportunity to represent my country. And, you know, I was very fortunate to play over a hundred times and for, for this honor to be you know, bestowed on us, it really truly was uh, an amazing feeling. I, I felt, I did feel bad uh, for a couple guys who who were discluded from that list because it's, it's, it's just almost not fair. Like guys like, you know, Casey and, and Tony had done so much for the game. Paul Calizuri, by the way, guys, none of this happens. None of this happens if he doesn't score uh, in November of 1889. Uh, uh, are you kidding me? That, that moment in time for me is like, we need, and I felt bad that he was not on that list because if I could sub myself out for anybody, it would be Paul. And of course, Kobe and Ernie. Um, Ernie's the best teammate I've ever had. Um, we fought like crazy when we were teammates, but he he was uh, he was a, a wonderful addition to the to to our team and um, to this country. He helped so many young guys uh, get better. So it was hard, you know. It was. It was. I kind of wish it would have been like the best sixteen or something, but I knew that's not possible. Right. So, so Eric, the big, the big talking point, the big subject everyone's talking about right now is is obviously the Michael Bradley uh, transfer from Roma. I uh, just want to get your take on that, and uh, you know, did we get did, a number on it? How much? How much? Uh, did, ten, what was ten million it? dollar transfer is what, what, what AS Roma announced. Okay, so I think. Okay, so it's a couple things, if we're being real here. Uh, Tim Lewicki loves headlines. Tim Lewicki loves the perception of reality outweighing the reality of the situation. Um, But in the business sense, he just got one hell of a player. Now, everybody's going to say, okay, this is horrible. How could he do this? He could come back before a World Cup, and um, this is going to, you know, one minute you're in Roma, now you're... Toronto. Um, the only argument that I would I would say uh, is the timing is a little is a little weird. Um, and I've I've been through this a few times and I've watched it happen. You could do the the math on this and maybe look it up and research it a little bit better. But I mean, how many guys have we had make the actual World Cup team and get hurt before the World Cup even started? Now, the reason for that is because they've just spent the last two and a half months playing not to get hurt. And that's when you get hurt. And then when you come into camp and you say, oh, i got to get ready for a World Cup this week, and you try to go from sleep to sprint, something breaks down. When you're in Europe, you don't have a choice in April and May. You don't have a choice. You're playing extremely competitive games that matter. You can't take your foot off the accelerator. So when you get that one week off and then you hit, and then you come into camp, uh, you hit the ground running, not limping. And I think that people might, and I hope to God he doesn't get hurt, and I hope I'm not jinxing him, but it will be very difficult uh, for him 
to hit the ground running in a World Cup. And I, and I do think uh, it, it'll be a scenario that, that maybe, even if he does play well, um, probably could have played better if, if he would have stayed in Europe. And that's just that's my personal opinion. That's not a, a slag on the, on the league. It's just the setup that we have. We start at the wrong time. We finish at the wrong time. And we don't let our guys go in the summer. And we don't open up those months for the exhibition so well, you've heard me gripe about that before uh we've heard you talk about about some coaches in the league in the past about you know whether or not they, they're, they're as good as advertised uh, i was just curious who in the league as far as the coaches go managers coaches uh that you that you actually like and you, you like what they do you like their their approach and you think they're 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 a quality coach like who would you say who would you hire of the head coaches in, in mls if, if if you you could pick one but you know what's funny it's funny you say that because it, the way it, it, it's worked you know, if you go back to when Bruce was the manager, all of his boys were were in the job. You know, Mooch, Sarakin, um, Rongan, all, all of his guys were scattered throughout the league. And then when Bob took over, we saw a new phase of his guys. So there was Tommy Sohn, and Dennis Hamlet, um, uh, Mo Johnson, and everybody that, or Precky, everybody that was one of Bob's guys had jobs in the league. Which I understand, it, it, it makes it. Um, and then we had this thing where nobody knew what to do when Jurgen became the manager of, of, of the U.S. team. There was nobody to talk to about who should get what job. And so we saw some. Some we're seeing it now. We're just having that that impression that okay, go be an assistant somewhere and you'll get a job. Eventually, the guy will screw up enough and then you'll just take over. So that's that's the way it works. Um, right now, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dom Kinnear. Everybody, I played with him. I've known him for a long time. He, he's, he's a good man. Uh, he's a good family man. He's funny as hell. His players respect him. Um, I was proud of Pecky. To, 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 extremely proud of Pecky. I mean, as Bruce would say, he's got a long way to go. <laughs> but... <laughs> I think Petke is, is he might have a future in this because uh, he's handled some pretty tough scenarios over there, and that's that's the test. Uh, Christ, you know what? He and I fight like like crazy sometimes, uh, but we always come back to it. We always come back to whatever the issue is. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. Uh, he's an extremely hardworking guy, and. Um, I you know I have a tremendous amount of respect for the guy. I mean I really like what he's done. I, I think when you look at that club now, it has a philosophy. It, 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 it if you you didn't know what color the uniforms were and they started playing, you go that looks like Salt Lake, because it looks like Salt Lake and that's that's kind of cool for him to have put his imprint in there. I well he called me after uh, uh, he made his decision. Um, I don't know if I should share this, but but he had actually. Um, Outside of Jeff, of course, um, who who was his assistant, he asked me if I was interested in, in the position, and I and I thought that was pretty cool, because I I think the reason why he would say that is because you got to have somebody who understands what has what the foundation is over there, and you can't mess it up. You can't have somebody come in and swipe the board clean and start over. And I think that was the fear um, from their ownership. They they probably thought that if they hired somebody from the outside, that's what would happen. But they they didn't do a really good job of talking to enough people, uh, in my opinion. The one that's going to surprise some people though is is Mark Watson. Mark Watson has all the attributes 
uh, in my opinion, to be a fantastic manager. Um, he was a good captain. I played with him very briefly. Um, and he's, he's, he's a guy that's not afraid to, to, to sit you down and tell you, you, you know, it ain't working. And he's not afraid to, to have the hard conversation and say, how can I help you? Because I like you, but I, I don't like the way you're playing. I think this can get better, but let's talk about it. You know, that's the one thing that, that I, I, I'll go back to, um, you know, creating the right professional environment is really important. And if you all the guys that I just mentioned, uh, I think they've done a pretty good job of, of, of not just creating their own environment, but figuring out what a, a real locker room is supposed to look like. Well, Eric, uh, thank you so much for taking up a huge portion of your night uh, to join us on the show tonight. No, I got lucky. I, my, my kids, I got two that are um, um, at soccer practice, so this works out great. I dropped them off, and now I got to go get them. <laughs> and and I and I cannot believe that the nine year old and five year old have behaved this long. Um, they, they're they're definitely done with the uh, mac and cheese at least twenty minutes ago. But I better get back to being a dad. And Ivis, after that interview, all I can say is wow. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> we, we we had to know. Listen, we had to know that if Eric Ronaldo was coming on our show, there was always always the possibility that he was going to ruffle some feathers. He was going to take some shots. He was going to have a go at some people. And he didn't disappoint us. And uh, all I got to say is I'm looking forward to Merritt Paulson's response. Uh, funny enough, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to respond. Maybe he won't. Maybe he'll take the high road this time. But, uh, yeah, uh, Eric's definitely, Eric definitely didn't pull any punches uh, about his relationship with the Portland Timbers owner. I could easily say that was perhaps one of our our, our better interviews that we've had on the show. It was solid. It was very candid. It was, it was very, very nice most, to hear. Most, con- most controversial. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that, right. that's for sure. I, I still love Terrence Boyd's uh, interviews for us. Oh, uh, yeah, the been, first one with Boyd was hilarious. He's, he's, he's hilarious. Let's face it. I, I'd love to have them all all the time because the guy's just funny. But we, we, you know what? Eric, Eric, Eric did not pull any punches. No, he, he didn't. Well, Ivis, uh, before we close out the show, one more thing that we need to talk about, one topic. You're in Florida, as we said in the beginning of the show, taking on the MLS Combine. You're there for the next couple days a couple other guys from the sbi team are there as well for people looking for coverage what can we expect what should we not expect can you give us a a primer of all the events that that you are going to be doing down in florida well uh yeah it's uh the combine kicks off on friday uh all the players are already in town and uh getting ready for for the action uh just to give you the quick uh quick rundown the the their the the players will be broken down into four teams and they'll compete in matches on friday Sunday and Tuesday, and you're going to have scouts, uh, you're going to have the coaches, uh, head coaches, assistants, GMs, all here from all all 19 teams, probably some people from the New York City FC squad as well, and uh, they'll take in, they'll watch the matches, they'll evaluate the players, and and then make their, you know, they'll also interview the players as well, the, the uh, you know, the teams uh, spend time with the players who also undergo things like fitness testing, uh, you know, speed testing, and uh, all, all that sort of stuff, uh, physicals, and uh, and then they, they do player interviews as well. Uh, so uh, it it is definitely a kind of a uh, this uh, roller coaster for these guys, for these players who you know are coming off their their their, their, their end of their college careers. And what I would say is this: it's not the most ideal setup, uh, and it's not the best soccer you'll ever see, but it's still a good opportunity, a good showcase for these players because you know as much as they're not in season and they're not fully fit. Uh, you're still talking the best college, some of the best college talent in the country, and it's a it's it's a pretty good level. So it, it's a good opportunity for, especially for players for smaller schools, 
uh, the, some of the lesser-known guys to really pump up their stock, boost their chances. You know, If you come in here and you tear it up, you absolutely can help boost your stock. It's not like you're going to go from being an unknown player to being a, a top-five player in the draft. I'm not going to go that far either. But you know, for, for the guys who are kind of first-round caliber, they can definitely move themselves up. I mean, we saw last year Kyle Becker. Uh, a player who was probably, for me, projected as a top 20 player, Kyle Becker, the Canadian uh, Canadian midfielder who ended up getting drafted by Toronto FC. He went from a top 20 player to you know getting drafted in the top, uh, I think he was either third or fourth now, it, it escapes me, but he was a, definitely a top four pick, played himself that, into that high spot. So uh, there is that opportunity. And this draft especially, uh, where there's so many prospects at certain positions, like center back, for example, I mean, you're talking, you could have a dozen center backs taken in the first you know, 20, 25 picks. Uh, 30 picks. I mean, there's there are quite a few. There's there's just a ton of center back uh, options in this draft. So uh, that's that's going to bear watching. So it, the, the the draft is light on attacking talent. I will say that. Uh, but but if you're look if you need a defender, if you need a center back, you need a defensive midfielder. This is absolutely your draft. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing who steps up. Uh, without putting you too much on the spot, Ivis, are, are there a couple guys that that maybe you think could climb up the charts that that maybe. Guys that you, you look at on the radar and say, hey, you know, good performance the next couple of days, and they could easily climb up the uh, the chart. Well, it's tough to say. I mean, all these for a lot of these guys, I think even more so this year than even past years, because I I feel like in past years the the top of the draft was a little more set, and, the, and like when you want to talk about the top ten, you maybe you had one or two guys that that kind of emerged from nowhere. Kyle Becker was that guy that he, he stands out for me last year. Emery Emery Welshman, another Canadian. Uh, also, uh, he's someone who who had a standout draft and really boosted his stock this year. You know, I'd say someone like Pedro Ribeiro, Coastal Carolina central midfielder. I think he's someone who who should be a top ten pick. But if he has a really strong combine, you know, he could push himself into that top five. Uh, I think someone like Christian Dean, who you know we were trying to get on the show tonight, but uh, unfortunately it didn't quite work out. I, I blame Garrett as I always do. Uh, Christian yeah. Dean, <laughs> we'll we'll probably have Christian Dean on hopefully on Sunday. Uh, but Christian Dean, you know, I've I've been saying it for a while now. He's he's the he's, when we talk about overall consensus rankings uh, among the teams in the league, Christian Dean's probably the most highest rate, the most highly rated prospect. A really athletic left-footed center back, uh, good size, and and someone who could potentially play left back as well. Uh, teams, some teams absolutely love him. I don't, I don't, I'm not so sure. DC United loves him, so maybe someone else would have to trade up to get Christian Dean number one overall. But I think he's someone. If he steps in, has a great combine, wows people. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, I think you're going to have people knocking on the door at DC United and saying, "Listen, you might not like Christian Dean, we but we love him. What do you want for that number one pick?" So, uh, you know, I think there's going to be some willing and dealing, especially when you have two teams. That have multiple picks in the top seven. Philadelphia has the two and the six. Vancouver has the three and the seven. So right there, both those teams are in great position to to you know maybe trade down, trade out, trade one of the picks for whether it's allocation for a veteran player. Um, so I think it, it, it's I hope you know knock on wood. Hopefully it's not it's not going to be a boring draft. I think there's going to mm-hmm. be some wheeling and dealing, and I'm 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 looking forward to these next few days. Uh, for without <clears throat> without uh, stroking your ego too much, Ivis, people can check your uh, mock draft. And uh, you've been pretty accurate in years past. You have one up right now. You posted it a couple days ago. January 6th was the latest one. Are you going to get another mock draft up or are you going to get two up? What what can people expect on, on SoccerByIvis.net to see kind of maybe what their team is looking at? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to pretty much be pulling an all-nighter uh, on, for, on, uh, on tonight, Thursday night. 
Uh, I want to knock out one more mock draft and one more big board tonight to drop on uh, on Friday before the combine, so people have an idea where players stand going into the combine. And uh, basically, what we're going to do is we'll have that. Uh, it'll be version 3.0 of both of them, the mock draft and the big board, mm-hmm. on Friday, and then the next one will be on Wednesday, which will be after this combine after this uh, you know after all the games have been played and the players have, have had their chances to impress you know I'll talk to all my sources I'll talk to my you know different scouts obviously I'll be talking to coaches and GMs from around the league and uh you know there's quite a few that I talk to every year and 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 that are pretty you know pretty forthcoming and, and pretty honest about their assessments of these guys so you know I take all that and uh put it all together mix it up and 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 come out with what I you know I usually you know I like to say is is a, is a pretty good uh, a pretty good barometer of where players are going to go. I mean, no one know, no one knows exactly, right? No one's going to sit here and pick. Any, anything could happen. Anything could happen. There's always there's trade possibilities. Exactly. There's wild cards. You have you have some teams that 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 pull surprises out of the hat every year, like you know Seattle, Columbus in the past has done that. You know, so uh, anything's possible. But I tell you what, all you got to do if you want to go on SBI. And check out the archives. Uh, we have all our draft coverage there from 2013, 12, 11, 10, 9. For the last four or five years, it's all on there. If you want to check it out and see where we've had guys, see how we've rated guys back from the end of the college season all the way up to the combine, after the combine, and you, and you'll see, you'll you'll, you'll get it, you'll, you'll see where we we you know you'll see the process, and, and it's pretty effective. Uh, you know, I'm not, we're not wrong. We're not right all the time. We've been wrong about players before, but in generally, I think it'll give you it'll give you a good sense going into the draft of where players are rated and and, and where players kind of should be taken, who teams might take. So, you know what? We, we, we try to do it. It's it's my thing. I love it. Uh, I've been doing it for – this is my ninth combine in a row now, and, and, and I've really come to enjoy it. And, and you know, really – really, I, you know, you got to respect these guys. These, these, these college players, you know, th- this is their career. This is their chance to shine. And it's great to see these guys, you know, kind of re- get this step closer to realizing mm-hmm. their dream. Uh, and it's great to see. It's great to see the guys who take full advantage, the guys who in it. I mean, think about it. It's not an easy it's, situation. You, you're not in your season. You know, you're probably not in that great of shape. You got to come down to Florida. Sometimes it's hot. You're playing in front of an army of head coaches and assistant coaches. Yeah. You got a who's who of, of, of you know, uh, you know, former U.S. national team legends and, and, and guys, you know, Bruce Arena, Siggy Schmidt. I mean, they're all standing there watching you, and you and you and you know you you get you can't let up, you can't make mistakes, mm-hmm. you can't get burned, you can't you know miss hit a shot or bobble a ball if you're a goalkeeper. So the pressure's on, you know. And it, well, it's a job. It's a job interview. It's the final job interview for these guys. It, that's absolutely. what that's what it comes down to. These guys I, have been put through the test, you know, college recruiting. This is the final one. You have to ace it. So it's a lot of pressure. I mean, even when a guy like Ivis Galarsip is sitting there, I mean, they must see you and get nervous. <laughs> no, no. Well, you know what? No. You, you know, <laughs> I tell you what. For the college players who follow the game closely, it's cool to meet them and meet the guys who read 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 SBI. There's usually a couple every now and then. I met someone. But, uh, the, I met someone the other day that won the national championship that listens to the show. Who's that? Who'd you meet? Carell Bradford plays for Indiana. Said he listens to the show. Nice, very nice. Yeah. Well, well. It, it, here's the thing. Yeah. So I, you know, and and I said it before. I say it again. The, it's it's an un, uh, it's an unfortunate fact that the combine does weigh a lot on player values. However, teams have done a much better job year after year mm-hmm. of, of of improving their scouting, improving their college scouting, not relying so heavily on the combine. Because I can tell you, you want to go back five six years ago, uh, team. Some teams relied fully on the combine or 
way too much on the combine. And now I think some team now this time at this point, I think teams are a little better about scouting uh, coming in. And I think when they get to this point, they have an idea already who they like, who they don't like. And and the the, the combine doesn't necessarily kill a kid's stock for some teams. You know what I mean? So I think, inter, you know, interviews are just as important. I think, it, it, you know, if you're a coach and you like a player and you, you've seen them in the college season, you've seen the video, it, it, you know, when you meet them, and, you know, the, and you get to talk to him, see what he's about. A lot of times team, players can absolutely uh, boost their stock with a good interview, with good interviews. And, uh, you know, it's whether true. as fair, unfair as that is, I mean, you get that. You get that as well. Yeah, but for, yeah, for, but first impression, everything. The team is making an investment into you. I, think, I mean, they have, they have a, multiple guys to pick from. It, it's a serious investment for this team to, to, to give you the money, to, to give you this, to give you that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a serious. It's it's. This is, it's big time for these guys. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be outstanding, Ivis. I bet you know. I, I know you're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's fun every year. It's fun. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I, I think we I think we covered everything on the show, or at least covered everything in the past 24 hours. Let's face it. No, nothing. Uh, not nothing else that we said matters. All that matters is what everyone all said because yeah, that's, that's what everyone's gonna talk about. Because when this show drops and everyone listens to the show. I think that's going to be topic number one for most people is, is what Eric said, and, and he, you know, he, uh, I mean, he said some great stuff. He had some great stories. I mean, the Chris, the, obviously, the Chris Clute story is great. You got to love yes. that. I mean, to hear a, of a player coming from those humble beginnings, and now he's in the U.S. national team camp. So uh, that's great to hear. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm I'm very interested to see the reaction of the public when this show drops. I agree, Ivis. That was a that was a great interview. All right, man. Well, I'm going to let you get some sleep because God knows you got to work on your tan tomorrow when you're checking out the combine. Oh, absolutely. Hey, oh, come on. Let's be honest. You know, I've, I've been tanning already, uh, just getting ready for this. No, actually, you know what's the funny part? There was no sun today. It was cloudy. It was ugly. Ew. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, that's not a sign of things to come. Uh, I think there's only been like one year out of the past four or five where it was truly, truly bad weather um down here so hopefully you know at, at least it's not freezing cold i mean it was 77 so how much can you complain um so hopefully it gets better but you know what in play- arizona it's sunny every day man uh, but you know what no 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 but you know what i'd say this the play if you're a player you, you you're loving you would love 77 no and no sun because you know so not all these guys are in the t- 